You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. What's good, man? Mm. Many things are good. Many things. Many? That's often how I answer that question when you ask me that question. Because what I'm really doing is deflecting. Because <laughs> it's like, what is good? It's many, like the new version of, how are you doing? Fine, and that's it. It is. It is. I think I'm just not ready for it. And I should be at this point. I should be ready. I should be well-equipped. But um, Well, you know. I don't know. But many things are good. The Lord is good. Truly, he the is. Lord is only the Lord. Only God is good. Actually, that's a great answer. You know what I mean? Good teacher. Why do you call me good? No one is good, but God alone. Yeah. But I think that would be, like, not a fun way, like, not a polite, not a gracious way to answer. Like, I've thought of, like, I have the thought once in a while when someone says, I ask them how they're doing, and they say, good. And I have to resist. I'm like, why do you call yourself good? I've not done it yet. I've not. I resisted that temptation. That's actually pretty great. You know. I recently heard this thing. It wasn't for the first time. I don't know how it came to me. A second time. Um, <laughs> I haven't been re-listening to things, but anyway, it came up again. And whoever I was listening to, again, I don't know where it came from, but they stopped asking, how are you doing, to avoid the rote answer and said, started saying, like, how are you feeling? Yeah. And I tried that out on you. Yeah, that's right. And it you didn't did. work. It didn't. <laughs> whoever gave me that advice, it is... Well, hey, when you asked, I was feeling fine. Yeah, that's true. And isn't that kind of the unfair thing? You're, like, digging for something that, like, you're not allowed to say you're well. You're not allowed to say something good. You have to share a crisis. Like, that's kind of not fair. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And such is the world. Yeah, you know what I've been enjoying recently? What have you been enjoying? I've been doing something a little different coffee-wise. Oh. we talk about coffee here, basically every other episode, right? <laughs> People probably get tired of it. But for most of my coffee drinking experience, mm-hmm. going back to when I got serious about it yeah. at home, like got the, what's the name of the grinder? Oh, the grinder is a, a Breville? Breville. Why mm-hmm. did I say Boveda? It's a different company. That's a different company. You're right. The Breville grinder yes. and my rock espresso yeah. maker, okay? Great duo if you're shopping. They are a great duo. It is a great duo. It, they. I just skipped that and I just said great. (laughs) You did. (laughs) Point being, okay, so that's been six years I've been rocking coffee like this. Roundabouts. Wow. So I've made my coffee, though, basically the same way yeah. for six years. I make my coffee, warm some milk, use Ghirardelli white chocolate powder for mm. the milk, and make basically like a white chocolate mocha. Yeah. Recently, I've been changing that up. Mm. Like for the last couple of weeks. I was watching an episode of Magnolia Table with my wife, Morgan. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you've heard of her. <laughs> we just had it on kind of in the background when we were playing with the girls or doing something, but it was on the TV. Mm-hmm. And long story short, Joanna Gaines was talking about this snickerdoodle coffee beverage. Oh. And I heard that and my ears perked up because I yeah. love coffee and snickerdoodles. Absolutely. Snickerdoodles probably one of my favorite cookie of all time. It's number one. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like baked cookies that are not just like store-bought Oreo, yeah. it's got to be snickerdoodle. Is, mm. So she said snickerdoodle coffee. I was like, I'm all ears. And I had all the stuff to make it because all you need is, you know, your preferred choice of coffee Mm -hmm. and then three quarters cup warmed milk Mm -hmm. with tablespoon of brown sugar, Mm -hmm. eighth of a teaspoon of cinnamon, dash of nutmeg, stir it all up, froth it if you prefer. I prefer frothing. Yeah. Pour your coffee into a mug, pour milk mixture in, stir, enjoy. And ooh. I enjoy. So this it is, is so good. You've been having this consistently for the past couple Every weeks. day for the past couple weeks. That is a lot of sugar. <laughs> Not, I mean, I don't say that to pick, actually. It sounds no, delicious. But it's about, a, so a tablespoon of brown sugar. I, it's about a tablespoon of white chocolate powder that I was using okay. for my coffee beverage. Yeah. I don't know what the actual sugar content and the difference there is. Yeah, who knows? As far as that. But, but this sounds decadent. It's so good. Yeah. And actually, the, the funny thing is, is it's actually not terribly sweet. 
Really? Really, it's not. Oh. I use the mocha pot for my coffee. Oh. So that gives it a slightly stronger coffee yes. base. Okay. Your average white mocha from Starbucks is sweeter than this. Okay, yeah. But it, it's the flavor profile. Yeah. It's like that coffee with definitely snickerdoodle flavor mm-hmm. that is just so... Mm, it's just majestic. Yeah. So anyway, that's a little diatribe that nobody asked for, but wow. I asked the question, what's good? And I answered my own <laughs> my own question. So oh. you know what else is good? Mm, tell me. Covenants. Okay. I was concerned you would use a different C word in this discussion. No, because I was going to say covenant signs are good as well, but- well, it kind of depends. This- On your perspective, I that's, suppose. Yeah. <laughs> depending on who you are and where and when and, and what time. Precisely. Certain covenant signs may- Less enthusiastic. Make you cry. <laughs> yeah. But given the distinctions of this particular sign, you're very young. It doesn't matter. You can't be scarred. Yeah. Like, psychologically. So I need to... Be careful. Yeah. In case you were wondering, today we continue our discussion of the major biblical covenants as we consider the sign of the Abrahamic covenant and mm. consider its significance for us today. Ooh, that's weird. Yeah, because we got to discuss the sign of circumcision. Yeah, we do. That's that's, that's right. what the sign is. That's the only reason and I got up yourself, this morning. Why? How significant for us? Please no. I thought <laughs> I thought that the apostles in the Jerusalem Council said no, no, no <laughs> circumcision required anymore. No, no, no. Oh. Well, it is significant, <laughs> and at the end we will actually talk about how we, in principle, hmm. apply this sign, but okay. not the same way. Yeah, okay, clearly, it's, it's not circumcision. That, That's it's, we don't actually apply that sign itself. I'm glad we're leading with this distinction. Yeah. So, just if anyone's sweating right now, you can rest assured. Unless it's like if you're sweating for reasons unrelated to this mm. episode, whatever. But <laughs> if you were sweating because of what we started talking about, rest easy. Now, if we're following our covenant terminology, you will have remembered from our last episode, we didn't discuss a covenant sign. That's true. We neglected a central feature of the covenants. I mean, we saw it was a bond and blood sovereignly administered, hopefully. Yes. But where was the sign? I don't know. Well, amazingly, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant doesn't come until like 14 years after the establishment (laughs) of the covenant in Genesis 15. So we don't see the sign until Genesis 17, Mm. when God further confirms his covenant with Abram by finally renaming him Abraham, which that name means father of many nations, by the way to reflect the promise of the offspring, oh, the yeah. reality of the promises. And then as a confirmation of the covenant, he gives him the sign and seal of circumcision. Mm. Scary organ music plays. <laughs> dur, 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 dur. Is there any indication as to why it took 14 years? Or by comparison, how long it took for Sarai to become pregnant? Like, why this huge gap? So I think the closest hint you get to that is in Romans 4, where Paul says, Abraham did not grow weak in faith as he considered the deadness of his own body. Because by the time he finally has Isaac, the son of promise, he's 100 years old. Yeah. Like, you're not having kids, man. So It doesn't matter whether your wife's been barren or not. (laughs) You're just done. And so there's part of this is like, it's a further deepening of his faith to say. Because you see this often in... Just the narrative arcs of scripture. Yeah, is that for sure, yeah. If I could say this reverently and without it giving anyone the wrong idea, it's like God loves to be put into a corner almost where it's like you were at the end of any possible human resource to make this happen. Yeah. So that, again, to echo the Psalms and Paul, anyone who boasts can only boast in the Lord. Exactly. Like you can't look at yourself and say, wow, we somehow managed to pull this off. Because what had happened actually before this sign and seal was given was that you remember in the story, Sarai was like, I'm not getting pregnant. 
you need to take my maidservant, right. Agar. Very and typical of the time, if I understand. It was very typical of the time. I'm not a fan. No, it was not. And I believe the argument can pretty pressingly be made that Abraham was wrong to listen to Sarai in that yeah. instance. He should have said, no, we're not doing that. Are you yeah. crazy? And instead he was like, okay. <laughs> Doofus. <laughs> so you got a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And when it comes to circumcision, so you, you actually examine the significance of the sign. Something to keep in mind before we get into the discussion is that circumcision was not a new practice introduced here. Hmm, what? No, yeah, right? This is not a new practice, nor was it exclusive to the Hebraic people, as a matter of fact. Now, what is new here is the significance of the procedure in the sign. Oh, okay. So God reassigns, if we could put it that way, new meaning to yeah, it. Yeah, okay. But, for example, there were all kinds of peoples from the nation surrounding Abraham who practiced circumcision, and they would do it, as one example, a rite of passage into manhood, which, oh. woof. Thank goodness they wait until it can scar you in two ways. <laughs> you know? Physically and psychologically. That's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that is, that is, I had not thought about it in those Congratulations. terms. Congratulations. Hate your existence. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, that is one thing that did distinguish the Hebrews from the Canaanites. The Canaanites were unique in that they didn't practice it. Okay. So that's when you hear, like, the Hebrews saying things like, oh, I don't want to fall into the hands of these uncircumcised Philistines. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, oh, they didn't practice it. Like, <laughs> right. what's the matter with you? But Abraham and his descendants circumcised their sons on the eighth day after their birth as a sign that indicated their inclusion into the covenant God made with Abraham. Mm. So like from their infancy, they were viewed as included in this covenant. Now, of course, naturally, (laughs) Abraham and the men in his household, when the sign was given, had to, you know. Yeah, they didn't get the benefit of, you know. Yeah, like, oh, I don't remember that. Like, oh, no. You remembered. You remembered. To the end of the days. And you were, you know, you were going to be, in the words of the Bible, sore (laughs) for many days. You know, what a gentle way yeah, to say that. So they were sore. Uh, so on the surface of it, I mean, the sign does provide a kind of national and racial distinctiveness to the Hebrews, not because it was a unique practice, but because of the unique significance that God assigned to it, hmm. that it was a sign of this covenant he had established with Abraham. Now, to see only the physical significance of the sign, of course, just to miss the substance of it. OK, because mm. in the covenant, signs signify something other than themselves. In fact, I think it's safe to say they pretty much always signify things greater than themselves. So it's, we always need something than something more than like a surface level reading. Right. The, the rainbow, for instance, is not an end unto itself. It's a reminder of a promise with specificity and context. Right. Okay. So circumcision is not merely a physical distinction. Right. It's something you'll soon enlighten me right, with. Right, 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 right. And uh, just before we even get in that discussion is something that maybe will help us think through this, the wedding band. Mm. Like most people wear a wedding band when they get married. And it's a sign of the covenant that we've made with our spouse, yeah. right? That we've made vows taken. Actually, more technically, we've made oaths, but the word vow gets used so often that we... <laughs> anyway, another episode for another time. But if you asked anyone, what's greater, the wedding band that is a sign of the covenant or the covenant that the wedding band signifies? Right. I would hope they don't choose the band. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, it's not the band itself. It's the thing that it signifies. So that's what we're dealing with here. Now, we established in our last discussion that the essence of the Abrahamic covenant is not the promises of blessing per se, but rather the primary blessing is the fact that God will bless us by being our God and we will be his people Mm -hmm. through the faith that justifies us 
offers us forgiveness, etc. So the question then is, is how in the world does circumcision signify that reality? Yeah. Like, how does that I'm work? not drawing. I mean, I am drawing the distinction because I'm like not clueless. But <laughs> if I was clueless and this is my first listen, I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. How is this happening? How do you do that, Josiah? Um, yeah. So without going into too much technical detail, because no thank you, <laughs> you know, on the one hand, part of this is, you know, for Abraham specifically, the placement of the sign, again, without being graphic about it, like it's placed as a reminder, I'm going to give you a seed. You're going to have a promised oh, sign. Like that's part of it. I didn't. I, okay. I actually did not realize that. Yeah. Like, and that's one part of it. Yeah. But again, the greater thing, even more so than that, you actually find that in Deuteronomy in particular. Okay. You get passages like Deuteronomy 10, 16, where God says to the Israelites, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Yeah, don't you like how that's... Somehow, now is when it feels explicit. <laughs> you know, like before it was factual and historical and I was fine with that. Now... It's not pleasant, but now it's starting to feel like... Oh, no. I don't like the... <laughs> I don't like to throw this around. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, now it feels graphic. That's it, right? Which is, I think, part of the shock value. It's like it's yeah, supposed yeah, to feel actually. that way, right? <laughs> because this verse makes a direct connection between the physical act of mm. cutting away the foreskin, right? Which we think like... Ugh, right? Like just ugh. to the spiritual act of cutting off that part of the heart which is stubborn toward the Lord. Mm. Right. So the implication then is that so long as the stubborn foreskin of the heart is not removed, there can be no true fellowship with the Lord. So just as the men could not be counted among Abraham's heirs apart from being physically circumcised, the idea is that, that pictures that everyone must be spiritually circumcised in order to truly have God as their God. You know, I didn't need the metaphor to understand. <laughs> <laughs> like, God, couldn't you have just yeah. told mm. me it was spiritual? Isn't right? that interesting? You could have just, yeah, you could have just said so. Right. Like, yeah, come on. I, I think I, I got that, it. Right? Yeah. yeah. But then it's like, oh, no, you bear this in your body. You're going to get it. Right? <laughs> but again, Paul also makes that point explicit in Romans when he says, a true Jew is not one outwardly, merely, but who is one inwardly, oh. has been spiritually circumcised. He actually says, again, to reinforce our point, the idea was not that your circumcision is what, like, saved you. It was what ensured that you understood you were a member of the covenant people and that you could be an heir of these promises. But again, it was always a matter of faith all along. Um, and Paul draws that out again in Romans 3 and 4, especially, if you want to read those passages. But again, the men had to have their foreskins cut off to be called God's people, which signified the fact that the people had to have their hard-heartedness cut off to be God's people. And just to pull one more Old Testament reference, Deuteronomy 36 says, and this is where the agency changes a little bit. This is interesting. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So here's the question I have. All right. So they had to be circumcised to be counted among God's people. And they did that. Yes. And this also served as a sign about hard-heartedness. Yes. However, did they not fail at that second half of that, like, all of the time? Like, consistently? Mm -hmm. We see God's people make all kinds of bad decisions. Yeah. I see myself make all kinds of yes. bad decisions. Not in the third person, mind you. <laughs> um, but I would not imagine they stopped being God's people, even in their failure. Right. Right. So yes. is that where we get the distinction of that is actually not the thing, it's the faith? Yes. So without getting, again, too far down too many rabbit holes, this is a big deal that Paul addresses at length in Romans 9 through 11. Okay. So he would say, for instance, 
you would read those chapters in Romans and hear the promises that God has made to us as Gentiles. We're mm-hmm. not ethnic Israelites. Right. We do not have to be circumcised in order to be counted among... On the eighth day by yeah. someone who is also circumcised on the eighth day. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, we don't have to do that to be included among God's covenant people. Yeah. So, if you're a Gentile hearing that, though, your thought might be, well, if it sounds like God forgot the Jews... He's just like, never mind. I'm done with you guys. I'm moving to the Gentiles. (laughs) And what Paul wants to go to great lengths at Romans 9 through 11 to say is, no, God's word to the Israelites has not failed. All along, not all Israel was Israel. Oh, okay. So he would say like, oh, yes, if you were, again, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew, ethnically, you were still included in the covenant people of Israel. Like Mm. nationally, you were an Israelite. Like you can't change that. Right. Just like if you were, to get ahead of myself a little bit, if you were baptized, you're by covenantal terminology, a member of the church. Mm. It's not like something that you like lose necessarily. Mm. But he would say, again, so the point is not all Israel is Israel, is that a true Jew is one who is one spiritually, inwardly. So like all along, it was a matter of faith. Did you walk in the footsteps of your father Abraham, whose faith was counted to him as righteousness before he was circumcised? Oh, that's true too. And before the law was given. Yeah. So that's what you kind of got going on there. Again, yeah, it's not like as soon as you sinned, it was like, well, you're not an Israelite anymore. Like, (laughs) oh, of course you're an Israelite. Are you a true spiritual Israelite is what Paul would ask. And he would Mm. say, oh, no, that was not the case. And he brings that out further when he refers to the days of Elijah, when Elijah said, I'm the last one. And God said, no, I've kept 7,000 for myself who have not bowed the knee to Baal. (laughs) You have a whole nation that's full of Israelites and 7,000 who are actually true Israelites in the sense that they're going to be heirs of the promise, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So again, the covenant that God made with Abraham and his offspring, it's important to remember, he made this covenant with his offspring as well, was that he would be their God, they would be his people. And this covenant was sealed by a sign that signified the spiritual reality of that covenant, which is namely, we have to have our heart purged of its stubbornness toward God in order to be full fellowship with him, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what needs to happen. If you want to change the imagery a little bit, it's in Ezekiel where God says, I will give you a new heart. Oh, Same yeah. kind of imagery. Like yes. you need a new heart. Like yeah. something fundamentally has to change inside of you. And as that passage in Deuteronomy makes clear and the Ezekiel passage, like God actually has to be the one ultimately who does that. He has to be the one who does that. So circumcision hour would serve as a reminder of God's promise in all these arenas. It was a physical sign. Now under the new covenant, again, which we will address at length in a future episode coming shortly, (laughs) we have a sign that functions in the exact same way as circumcision does, right? Both of these signs point to the same spiritual reality. Ours is baptism, not circumcision. So, and you're asking why those seem totally different, right? Like there's nothing about that that seems at all similar, but Paul makes an explicit link to them in passages like Colossians 2, 11 through 12, where he says, in Christ also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So that's the spiritual side he's talking about. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So, so mm. far this makes sense, right? But here's where he links it. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So the language around it changes with the acts that surrounded the crucifixion. Yes. Like the acts now mirror what yes. happened in that moment. Exactly. So you're picturing the same spiritual reality still, but it's a new sign that indicates yeah. a new administration of this mm. reality. So in other words, you got circumcision that pictures this truth in a literal physical removal of flesh. Right. Right. Which is like, Paul is like the body of the flesh, the sinful nature has to be removed. But now baptism pictures that same truth physically, but it does it in the quote unquote washing away of sin 
and unclean consciences. Like that's how it does it, uh, yeah. to quote Peter's terminology. So again, the signs don't save you, right? but they do indicate the reality that's at work here. And it is a matter of obedience to make sure you're sealed with the sign. The signs matter. Like, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, you see that like in Exodus 4, we did an episode on that strange incident where God shows up and is like, your son isn't circumcised. I'm going to need to kill you now. Like <laughs> right. it's a weird incident. Like the sign and the thing it signifies are so closely related. To go back to the wedding band analogy, if I walked into a bar and took my wedding ring okay, off, yeah. I haven't changed covenant reality or anything, but I'm yeah. communicating something exactly. by not wearing my wedding band. And so the signs do matter. If you want to use a really theological term, they don't possess ex operari operato. That's what I was looking for. Efficacy. Yeah. Which just means by the thing itself. So that would, to pick on our Catholic cousins again, they teach in their catechism that the baptismal waters actually regenerate. They literally, the waters themselves wash away the stain of original sin. Not wildly different from transubstantiation. Exactly. Yeah. Very, very high yeah. sacramentology. Actually, funny enough, did you know that's where the term hocus pocus came from? What? Hocus pocus. What? So we use the term hocus pocus to refer to like fraudulent, like, oh, it looks magic. It's hocus pocus. Yeah. It's like, ah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's just a corruption of the words of institution in Latin when the priest would transubstantiate the oh, bread and the cup. Whoa. Um, it's like hoc est s something something. I can't remember them, but it's like a corruption of that hocus pocus. <laughs> So anyway, all that is to say, though, the signs matter when it comes to, even if it's not like, oh, this is the thing that saves you. Right. It matters. So that's the sign. Wow. That covenant there. Yeah. All the links there. And yeah, I'm really grateful that it's water. Really grateful it's water and not something else. Hey, if you're grateful and you want to leave us an honest five-star review, we didn't have anything to do with that, but (laughs) you know, just made you happy. You can do that. And uh, if you have any questions on this or any other topic, feel free to shoot us an email at podcast at horizonschurch.net, or you can interact with us on social media. Thank you as always for listening. We'll catch you next time.